you want to make a program that can create Club Penguin accounts and get them banned. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Summer Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Jake, our wonderful academic director. Hello. As well as Ben Ehrlich. I do nothing right. here. He does. He no. He does nothing. He doesn't even have a job title. I don't even have a, a name. Yeah, you're just a fictional persona. <laughs> So just to get us uh, started off, has there been any news about programming in the news? Are there, are there any current events or any news about programming that you've seen uh, that have stuck out to you? Oracle is buying TikTok, which is insane for so many different reasons. Yeah, that also stuck out to me. Like, why Oracle? It's like the least hip company buying the most hip product. It's also yeah. just how does that fit in with all the other things Oracle does? Maybe they'll make it a native app on Solaris. <laughs> it's kind of like a little bit of worlds colliding, you know, always going to work. Like, we've got instructions on how to download Java from their site and battle, you know, their kind of model. Are um, they going to make TikToks about how to download Java? That's <laughs> I hope what we so. need to do now. Do you think it would make it easier to download the software for people if we replaced our YouTube videos with TikToks? Probably. Depends on the music in the background. <laughs> That's big. I also just saw that NVIDIA was going to acquire ARM. Oh, that's a disaster. Oh, yeah. That's I'd... such a mess. What do you think about that, Ben? It's horrible. It's horrible. Now there's one less chip maker when there's like one chip maker. And there was, it was going to be so cool. Apple was going to switch to ARM. We were going to have this brand new revolution of computing. And now it's like, if NVIDIA lets us, we'll do that. Well, there goes our NVIDIA sponsorship. What are you going to say, Luke? <laughs> I'm such a big fan of risk languages. And mm -hmm. like, I'm just hoping for the day that more hardware uses risk languages and someone newly acquiring ARM, just like, I didn't really look too far into it, but it just doesn't seem like it's going in the direction I want it to be going. Yeah. And so just for anybody who's maybe not familiar with a uh, risk language, could you give us like the, oh yeah, uh, Eli five explanation of that? So risk means uh, reduced instruction set as mm -hmm. opposed to CISC which is a compound or complex or something instruction set. Uh, I don't know, I, I could Google it to get the exact things. But the basic idea is in a risk language, there are very few possible instructions that do very little, and you have to use a lot of them to get anything done. Whereas in a CISC language, there are very, very many possible instructions that do a lot at a time. So you have to use a lot fewer of them. And the way I just described that may make it sound like CISC would be obviously better, but the advantage of RISC is that to learn how to use a RISC language, you have to learn very few things. And then from there, it's just how, how you're going to combine them. And the other advantage of a RISC language is that it is usually more efficient in terms of time and resources of other kinds. And so bringing this back home to ARM. Yeah, ARM is a RISC language. Um, as opposed to what's used most commonly now, x86, which is a CISC language. You know, I, I think we could probably have an entire podcast where we ask you questions about, you know, the history <laughs> and trade-offs between RISC and CISC, but that's not going to be our focus for today. I also think, I think that was a good segment. So, <laughs> Ben, I just made you the host of this. If you want to, like, also record on Zoom, just so we have, like... Redundancy? Exactly. Maybe I'll record nice. it to the cloud this time. Nice. No, I'm not going to. I'm using Bobby's cloud storage on his Xbox because I still have his Xbox 360. So I'm putting all my Skyrim saves on his cloud storage. 
Nice. Oh my gosh. Are you still playing Skyrim? That's why I'm getting this PC back together so I can play Skyrim in another place. I tried playing Skyrim once, but I was like, so I in the in the first area, like when you first get your character and you walk into that cave, I realized that I could just keep hitting my friend and it would level me up. And I was like, well, leveling up yes. is good. So I should just level myself up all the way. And so I got myself up to like level 40s or so and two-handed and same for one-handed and magic and healing and all this stuff. Uh, and my like total character level was like in the 20s or 30s or so. And then like I walked outside the cave and all of a sudden my screen just exploded with like quests and then a dragon attacked me and I died. And then I tried walking around and all the enemies had all this high level gear and stuff. And I just kept dying over and over again because the game tries to scale to your level. And I, you're supposed to level as you go throughout the game and collect gear and items and spells. But I hadn't done any of that because I was just in the starting cave. And so I'd made the game literally unplayable and I never tried it again. So you'd soft locked yourself out of Skyrim by just, trying to... I thought the levels going up would be good and it was yeah, not. You were mistaken. That's really cool that you found that glitch, though. That's like a, a famous glitch now. It's a glitch? Yeah. I thought it was intentional. No, it's an exploit. Yeah. Hmm. There's a there's a bug in World of Warcraft where we're, we're really... We actually have two legitimate... I, I want to say this just for everybody, you know. We have two legitimate points of conversation um, that I'm more than happy to continue derailing. <laughs> um, there's a, a bug in World of Warcraft where there's this one mob in Stormwind called the Old Town Thug. Oh, the Old Town Thug, my favorite. Normally is supposed to be killable, but if you like are in some like combination of states when you get to him, he becomes unkillable and deals no damage to you. So what is great is that you can like level your weapon experience by just attacking him for an hour. So like you have all these you'll go to like Stormwind and you'll see like a hundred players all circled around the old town thug just leveling like their unarmed combat and then their daggers and stuff like How that. How many times are you going to have to teach you this lesson, old man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> oh, all right. So coming around to our uh, first of our main topics today that we're glad you are here for, Jake is one of the questions we get a lot is what age should I start programming at? And we have a number of thoughts about that that I think potentially deviates from more mainstream advice. And so I, I immediately want to turn that question over to you, Jake, is what do you think is a, a good age to start programming? Or why is that question perhaps a little bit misguided? Yeah, you know me so well to start with why is that question misguided? That That is exactly... <laughs> Um, it's somewhat the wrong question to ask because what it means to do programming can be a few different things. And then different kids are at such different preparedness for such different things, just developmentally speaking. You know, some kids spend all their time going out and figuring out how to socialize, you know, when, when you're like six, right? Some kids are, are so focused on, like, learning how to make friends better and, like, how to play games with their friends and stuff like that. Some kids just want to, like, learn how to read better, et cetera, et cetera. So different people accelerate different things at different speeds. And so in terms of programming, where one kid would be ready at maybe as early as seven, uh, another kid might 
it might be better off waiting until they're like 10. However, the conventional wisdom that you need to be like 16 or something to start programming seriously, that's complete bunk. And like the idea that you should start on some specifically made thing for kids if you're too young, I think is also not really... There are uses for that, but it's certainly not the only way, even for kids who are a lot younger than people might expect. I want to dig into like several aspects of what you just said. I want to sort of approach that from a different couple angles. First of all, though, I mean, sort of connecting this back to summer tech is, did you start programming at summer tech? Absolutely. Yeah. I hadn't, I had literally no experience with anything related to programming until I walked in. Did you know you wanted to go to summer tech to program or was there something else that sort of attracted you to summer tech? I just thought it'd be fun. I, I totally went to summer tech as a camp because I thought it would be a fun camp. That's awesome. How oh, old how you were you? When you... <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. It was 2009 and I was born in 97. So, uh, so you were quick 12? math here. I was 12. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Asking three engineers to do a subtraction <laughs> problem. It was very dangerous there. <laughs> we were 50, 50 on getting that right. Ben, what was your, how old were you at your first week at summer tech? My first week at Summer Tech, I was nine, probably. Wow. What class did you take? I took uh, Flash, not animation. It's animation now. Back then, it was yeah. Macromedia Flash MX, oh which my was goodness. just the it's best. Time capsule. My first programming class at Summer Tech was Java, and I don't think I was too young to start programming. I do think I was too young for Java because I wrote a lot of code, but didn't really understand any of it. And it was a long time until I had a, a breakthrough moment of, oh, this is what that code is doing. I guess the long time for the breakthrough moment was like a year later, so not that long. And how much did you take like Java that first year or did you come back like your following year and then take Java? Um, well, I did not start Java when I was nine. I think I must've started Java when I was like, 10 or 11. I think now that we have Python, you could absolutely start code at nine. I, I think there's so much barrier to entry with all the things that become important later with Java that you need to learn to start with or get around. And it's so much information being thrown at you at once that isn't even necessarily important to what you're doing. And there's so much information that isn't even programming. Like if you're yeah. really, uh, depending on what kind of life you've had up to being age nine, you might have never had a document where you're typing a bunch of stuff before, which is its own thing that you would have to learn how to interact with. Like the text goes to the right, and then if you hit the enter key, it goes down. That's the... You have to learn that before you're ready to do any kind of programming on a real computer. I think I, I might have started programming in fifth grade. So, and I, I was ex somewhat experienced with, you know, writing text that wraps and, and goes over multiple lines but i just know from experience teaching that 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 is not always the case especially with some younger students and just having you know I, i've had classes where i've taught the concept of before even sort of like teaching code i've taught the concept of like here's how you give yourself some new lines in an editor because yeah being able to order that is one of those sort of fundamental skills and, and things you'll need um, i want to say for our five listeners at home there's no shame in not knowing that at nine, and there's no shame in not knowing that at 40. You know, if where you're coming into programming is, I've used Microsoft Word for work a few times, that's a great place to start too. And depending on what you're trying to get out of learning programming, um, 
lately I've been programming a lot on pen and paper. Um, and I'm lucky enough that I, I have the experience that I can look at what I've written in pen and paper and then act like a computer in my head. But uh, if you want to learn programming and you have someone near you who has the kind of experience that I have, then you can totally learn on pen and paper and have them be your computer. So a couple of interesting things that you brought up before, Jake, that I just wanted to sort of not let slip by or, or just go back into. So there's this kind of conventional idea that programming isn't something you start until you're in high school, until you're like 16. And so why do you think that idea still exists? So there's a few different things. There's like this cultural understanding of programming that it's like this, it's, it's almost like this kind of mathematical object that you have to like learn how to conceptually poke at in various ways. And then there's this other kind of cultural understanding that it has to do with knowing how a computer works internally in a really detailed way or that it has to do with like hacking in any of the definitions of hacking, which it certainly can have something to do with any of those things. Um, like I've done programming that is absolutely just poking at mathematical concepts. And I've done programming that is trying to figure out something about the internals of my computer. But that, those are like pockets that you can go into if you want to. Programming in general is just a way of expressing concepts in a particular arrangement and in a very in particular ways and someone is ready to express concepts as soon as they're ready to understand a cooking recipe or understand how to write a paragraph of english in a way that a reader can read it a lot of people have a fundamental maybe misunderstanding of what programming is which totally makes sense if you're basing it off of how you've seen it represented in pop culture and things like that, where people have this sense of, oh, I need to be extremely tech savvy, or I need to have, you know, all this knowledge of how a computer works. And if I'm not that person, then I won't be a good programmer. Whereas, you know, some of the least computer literate people that I know are computer programmers, you know, like absolutely uh, doing tech help for a computer tech camp has taught me just the range of how maybe flawed that that idea of what you need to be to be a programmer with the kinds of questions that you end up answering and helping with like that. How do I plug my computer in? I mean, it, and and that's not to, and so I want to take a step back and say, that's not at all to <laughs> criticize people that aren't tech savvy or, you know, don't have that skill set. That's totally reasonable. It's more to just encourage you that programming is a hundred percent something you can take on, even if you don't see yourself as that person. It is not related to that. You know, as Jake was starting to get at, you know, programming is more about problem solving and how can I take this task or, or thing that I want to accomplish and break it up into its parts and solve those parts is, is typically how I like to describe it to people that are kind of asking what programming is about. In the same way that you don't have to be, you don't have to be someone with a PhD in English to learn how to sing. In the same way that singing usually has words in it, so you should probably know how to speak a language before you sing. Programming usually involves computers, so you should probably have some awareness of like, you know, where the keyboard is before you start programming. But that's about it. Yeah. So I think there's another side to that, though, which is we're saying that you don't need to be that computer techie person to necessarily start to pick up programming. I think the other side of that coin is 
if you are not that person and maybe you don't have a desire to be a software engineer or a web developer or something like that, why would you still want to pick up the skill of programming? So, I mean, the answer to me is programming is often just a way of organizing certain kinds of thoughts, especially once you get out into some more advanced forms of programming. I've seen it used by sociologists to just make sure that they understand the sociological phenomena they're looking at, separate from any kind of computation task. They just want to make sure that they've organized their thoughts in a manner that makes a certain kind of sense, and that's it. I think just about anyone can benefit from learning how to think like that. So there's a definite benefit in just the logical thinking, and I would also add in the problem-solving skills yeah. that you get from thinking in that way or essentially solving engineering and, and problems like that. In the same way that people say it's good to learn a, you know, learn a foreign language and good to meet people from new places, just kind of horizon broadening. In a more practical sense, oh, I just want to turn this over to you guys. So is there any way outside of what people typically think of software engineering and, and development that you've been able to use the practical skills or applications of coding in your life? Yeah, so, you know, outside of professionally, where I am a professional software developer, if if a friend of mine has a, a problem that they need solved through programming, I, I can use my skills and superpowers to help them out. Like my little brother, when he was in his senior year of high school, he was running a game of Assassin. And the way that they had been running Assassin at his school for years was everybody would get assigned somebody else's name and you would have a slip of paper with their name on it. And when somebody got out in the game of Assassin, you would just give them their slip of paper. And if you lost the slip of paper, the game was in serious jeopardy. And organizing stuff like disputes between players and any problems that cropped up, it was really challenging. And so Gabe and I talked about, well, what if we built software that would make managing the game a little bit easier for the players and for the people running it. And that's what we did. We built that. And every year since then, the seniors at the high school have emailed me, hello, Mr. Ehrlich. I know that last year you helped with Assassin, this and that. Can we pretty please use your software? That's awesome. And you say no every so day. You guys How are How do you get my email? <laughs> that's very funny. My friend and I did something very similar in our senior year. We organized our class of like three or 400 in a massive game of Assassin. And so just trying to organize the names and, and not create cycles or mistakes like that, we wrote a very simple Python program in about 15 minutes to generate out all of the lists and then spent slightly more time adjusting it to make it easier to contact everybody with the actual assignment of their players. And, and people were sort of surprised they were like oh my gosh thank you so much for all the time and effort you put into this and i was like this was half hour of development and then five minutes every saturday like this was not a huge investment of time because i had those practical programming skills already you guys got so fancy like my practical programming examples are often just like someone gave me a document but for some reason they put like these slashes everywhere and i'm like man i want to get rid of all these slashes but like also there's some parts of the document that are like web addresses where the slashes are necessary. So I want to keep 
those slashes and not the other slashes. And it's like a long enough document that it'd be really annoying to go through and do it by hand. And since I have all these programming skills, instead of it being a 20 minute hassle of finding all these slashes, it's a 10 second hassle of just making what programmers call a regular expression and then just wiping out everything that matches it. That's a great example. I, th- I think one of the less maybe glamorous examples, but something I always like to point to is a lot of the work that I end up doing uh, involves spreadsheets. And the knowledge that I have from pro- programming, one, makes it extremely easy to work with spreadsheets and just sort of the basic feature set of something like Google Sheets and Excel and building out formulas and things like that. But it also becomes extremely easy to extend them. If there's functionality that is almost what I need, but maybe needs uh, to be adjusted in a slight way, or if I find I'm doing the same task over and over again in many different spreadsheets, and I feel like it would be you know, faster to write a short program in order to automate that, it really can start to make your life easier. I, yeah. I also end up using programming a lot when like I need to figure out how many different combinations of something there is, or what are you know some kind of basic probability things. And I know that I should be able to do that with math, but I'm just <laughs> too darn lazy to think about that. And I know that I could just write 10 lines of code that would just show me all of the things that I need to see without having to do all this math and, and like thinking. And so for me, it's gotten to the point where rather than programming being a thing that's like hard and I have to think a lot about, it's the thing I do to avoid thinking a lot about things. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm Matt, and you can find us online at summertech.net. In my week, Ben, you were taking flash animation, and all of your animations revolved around you must construct additional pylons. <laughs> And I That's thought that was hilarious, but it didn't instill a desire to learn animation in me. The thing is, that wasn't animation. That was Java. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get kids on graphics, there's no going back.